0: Okay, so we'll get started. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead and get situated. Uh, we'll be in Second Chronicles chapter 6. We've been reading through the entire Old Testament. Uh, we've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, first chronicles and now we are reading through the book of second chronicles and this is what we do every day we discipline ourselves in the reading of the word i hope one of the things that uh, you're becoming abundantly aware of is how much scripture you can actually get through how much Scripture. You can navigate through just simply committing to 20 to 30 minutes a day of reading. And if you were to commit an hour a day to reading, which is not, you know, we don't, we're not afforded that time in the mornings to do that. But if we had an hour a day to read, you can easily see how you can read through the entire Bible every year, just with an hour a day. However, for half a Netflix episode a day, we can get through a lot of Scripture, and we have gotten through a lot of Scripture. If you've been here with us from the beginning, then you would have seen us beginning in the book of Matthew all the way to the book of uh, Revelation and now we're we, we're going through Genesis and we're already in Second Chronicles. And what we're doing is, is instead of taking the posture of Bible study, where I'm here to just instruct you on the scripture, we're here to receive from God, to hear from God, to reflect and ruminate over the text, but with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. We're asking that the Holy Spirit would guide us, the Holy Spirit would lead us, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us as we engage in this word. Because although this word has been written in antiquity, it has absolute cultural relevancy. It applies to us today. And so that's why we're here. And that's why we're engaging in the word. And so I want to encourage you right now to draw your attention to Second Chronicles chapter 6. And if you're asking, well, how do I go about engaging from a meditational posture with scripture? Well, of course, it begins with prayer. Uh, it begins with prayer, and often you'll notice that when you guys come in, I'm already playing music and already in the spirit of worship, because again, what I want to do is open up myself to hear from God. The second thing that I do, and I, and this is just a common activity for me, is I ask three questions. I ask three questions, and, and it's based on those inquisitions that I begin to hear from God. I've postured my spirit to receive from God, to hear from God in regards to His Word. Those three questions are one, what is God revealing concerning himself? The second question that I ask as I'm prayerfully reading through the scripture is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And the third question that I ask as I spend time reflecting and ruminating over the text is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to reflect on the word. I've got nothing prepped, I've got nothing planned. Um, I never know how these things are going to go. I'm simply going to hear from God and you have an opportunity to hear me reflect out loud and to ruminate over the text out loud. And that's what we're going to do. And we'll do that for another 20 to 30 minutes as well. So let's do it. Father, I pray right now, Lord, as we engage in your word today, Lord, I pray that you would meet us right where we are. Lord, we have people from all over the world right now in this moment who are reading this text. Lord, there are those who will be reading this later. Lord God, who will be participating later in this. So, Father, I pray, Lord, um, through our engagement together in simultaneity, Father, through different time regions the different time zones, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would engage with us, Father, as we engage in your word. Father, reveal to us your heart, your will, your desire. Reveal to us what we need to see revealed about us, Father, as we engage in your word. Just bless us in this time. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you can, um, let's get right into it. Good. Second Chronicles, chapter six, we'll read from verse one. It says, then Solomon spoke. The Lord said that he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there, nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people, Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there and that I have chosen David to be over my people, Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father, David to build a temple for the name of the Lord, God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple. But your son, who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he has spoken and has filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have put the ark in which the covenant of the Lord, which he made with the children of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. For Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide and three cubits high. And he set it on the midst of the court and he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant, David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant, David, my father, saying you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk in my law, as you have walked before me. And now, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and, and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be opened toward this temple day and night, toward the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place here from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear forgive, Hmm. if anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked, on the wicked, by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to them and their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your children as an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when there enemies besieged them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of the sons of men that they may fear you to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray in this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this temple which you have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemies, whenever you send them, and when they pray toward, sorry, pray to you toward the city which you have chosen and the temple which you have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done wrong, and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity. Where they have been carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, toward the temple which I have built in your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and supplication, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open, let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength, that your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away your face, so do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. Chapter 7, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of the Lord and the priests attended their servant their services. The Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord which King David had made to praise the Lord saying for his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priest sounded the trumpets opposite them while all Israel stood. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord for he had offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offering because of the bronze altar, which Solomon had, was made was not able to receive burnt offerings, the grain offerings and the fat. At that time, Solomon kept the feast seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the to the brook of Egypt. And on the seventh day, they had a sacred assembly, for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days, and the feast seven days. And on the twenty-third day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done to David." For Solomon and for his people Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that he came sorry all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven, And there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my commandments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom. As I covenanted with David, your father saying, you shall not fail to have a man as a ruler of Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and this house? Then I will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. Hmm. Our last chapter for today, chapter 8. It came to pass at the end of 20 years, when Solomon had built the house of the Lord in his own house, the cities which Hiram had given to Solomon. Solomon built them, and he settled the children of Israel there. And Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and seized it. He also built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the storage cities which he built in Hamath. He built upper Beth Haran and lower Beth Haran, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars. Also, Baalith and all the storage cities that Solomon had, and all the chariot cities and the cities of the Calvary, and all that Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, who were not of Israel. That is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel did not destroy. From these, Solomon raised forced labor as to this day. But Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Some were men of war, captains of his officers, captains of his chariots and his cavalry. And others were chiefs of the officials of King Solomon, 250, who ruled over the people. Now Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house he had built for her. And he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the place... Places to which the ark of the Lord has come are holy. And Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord which he had built before the vestibule, according to the daily rate, according to the commandment of Moses, for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the three appointed yearly feasts the feast of the unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, and the feast of tabernacles, and according to the order of David his father. He appointed the divisions of the priests for their service the Levites for their duties to praise and serve before the priests as the duty of each day required and the gatekeepers by their divisions at each gate. For David, the man of God had commanded. They did not depart from the command of the king of the priests and Levites concerning any matter or concerning the treasuries. Now all the work of Solomon was well ordered from the day of the foundation of the house until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was completed. Then Solomon went to Ezion-Geber and Elath on the, on the sea coast in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent him ships by the hand of his servants and the servants who knew the sea. They went with the servants of Solomon to Ophir and acquired 450 talents of gold from there and brought it to Solomon. We're going to stop right here. Um, man, I'm tempted to go to nine and close with a thought. That's what I'm going to do. Let's read nine and then we'll close out with a few thoughts. Chapter nine. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions, having a very great retinue camels that bore spices, gold in abundance and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain to her. And when the king of she- when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel and his entry by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness." She gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, and precious stones. There never were any spices such as those the queen Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon, who brought gold from Ophir, brought algum wood and precious stones, and the king made hallways of algam wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for the singer's And there was none such as these seen before the land of Judah. Now King Solomon gave to Queen Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, much more than she had brought to the king. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Verse 13, the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides what the traveling merchants and the traders brought, And all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps with a footstool of gold, which were fastened to the throne. There were armrests on either side to the place of the seat, and the two lions stood beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold and all the vessels of the house of the feast of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. (laughs) For the king's ships went to Tarshish and the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man put his present, articles of silver and gold, garments and armor and spices, horses and mules, at the set rate year by year. Solomon had 400 stalls of horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. So he reigned over all the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. And they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt and from all lands. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan the prophet, in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite, and in the visions of Edo the seer concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebat? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel forty years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. The word of the living God. I felt it important, at least, to conclude our time in the reading of the word with concluding with the life of Solomon and consequently his reign. For many of us, we, we know many things about Solomon. Uh, But we primarily know two things about him. The two things that we know about Solomon is that Solomon was wise. He was a man of immense wisdom. And the other thing that we know about Solomon is we know that Solomon uh, was wealthy. He was wise and he was wealthy. And because of his wisdom and his wealth, he was a man of great renown. He was a man that uh, was known around the world by magistrates, by kings. Even see, we see here, even in our time of of reading here, how Queen Sheba, who was a woman of renown, of brilliance and intelligence, Queen Sheba came to visit him to see what all the hype was all about. And of course, she goes to visit him and she sees what she's heard not only has she seen what she's heard, but she says that what she sees has surpassed even the things that she's heard. She was absolutely impressed by this man. It is without equivocation that Solomon was an impressive individual. He was an impressive guy. Um, People were impressed by him. People were impressed by his wisdom and his intelligence and his wealth they were impressed by the way that he had administrated the kingdom of Israel. And, and so when we see the text, it's important for us to, to see it in that light, that what's happening here is, is that the author of the text is reminding us of, uh, of of the blessings of God, but more specifically, what it would look like as a foreshadow of what the flourishing of a country or a nation would look like when there's a man or a person who is submitted to the will and the wisdom of God however we see even remnants of this erosion which the uh which the author mentions here remnants of how that wisdom was eroded we see remnants in it in uh a few a few disobediences of Solomon even in the law of God Right, uh, We see Solomon holding um, captives as slaves and and we see Solomon instituting slave labor and we see Solomon building a lot of his wealth um, from the labor of slaves who helped build the cities that we're speaking about here. So we see elements of, so- of Solomon for his wisdom and his wealth and for his renown, but we also see cracks, right? in the character of Solomon. Um, When it says that her spirit left her, it's simply saying here that she is absolutely just flabbergasted, overwhelmed by just, just the presence of Solomon. Solomon is impressive. He is impressive. But know that this part of the story, and remember what we said about this author, this author has centralized the story from the perspective of, uh, the children of Israel century over a century after Israel comes back from captivity and notice that at the center of the story right now is the temple and Solomon has been given the task to build the temple. David gets the, um, David gets the blueprint for the temple, but Solomon is the one that now, uh, gets to exercise and execute the plan. And so Solomon executes the plan, builds builds this beautiful temple. And after he builds this temple, he dedicates the temple. And that's really what most of our reading is about, really. Understand this, that this is not about uh, specifically Solomon in the story, but it's about the role that Solomon plays in the grander picture of things while we see Solomon for his wealth and for his renown and for his wisdom, what the author wants us to really pay close attention to is the purpose for Solomon in this part of the story is for Solomon, his claim to fame was actually the building of the temple. His claim to fame was not uh, necessarily his wisdom and his wealth. That's what we like to pay attention to. But rather, Solomon's claim to fame was in the building, the construction and the dedication of the temple. What I find interesting, though, and and again, these are just a few minutes that I have with you guys today. What I find interesting, though, in this text is I find uh, Solomon's dedication, his prayer for dedication. There are a few things that Solomon indicates here that I think for many of us, we need to pay very, very close attention to. Because for many of us, when we think of the temple, we think of the temple as the house of God that houses the presence of God. And I think this is something that was understood. And yet we see how Solomon, even through his dedication is shaping the heart of the children of Israel to help them understand the purpose for the temple in the first place. We see initially, right? That uh, throughout the history of the children of Israel, they would uh, interpret the tabernacle as the place where god is the very presence the corporeal presence of god and that wherever the tabernacle was that that is where god is and and so uh there was a certain reverence for that space because it was a space that housed the presence of god we see a particularity of space and a localization of space where you know, uh, even even in the Ark of the Covenant, there was a particularity to it that the Ark couldn't even be touched the way that it was transferred from one place to another, transported from one place to another. Uh, it, it was to be dealt with and administrated with great prudence. Why am I bringing all this up? Why does all of this matter? It matters because we're seeing a shift in the narrative of the temple. We're seeing initially how When when the temple was seen as a place where we go to worship God and where God is present, where we go to meet God and encounter God, Solomon brings to light something that we all must be aware of. Solomon brings to light something that I believe for many, it wasn't fully appreciated and fully understood. Solomon prays and he dedicates the temple. And upon the completion of his work, what does Solomon say? He says, but will God and deal dwell with men on earth? Verse 18 in chapter six, behold, heaven and earth and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Solomon is bringing us to an understanding and an awareness that the presence of God is not confined to a building or a location, no matter how beautiful this building is, no matter um, how ornate it is! No matter how many precious uh, metals and 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 ivory and gold and 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 bronze and and all the things that we have, all the accoutrements that we can add to the temple, no matter how much we can bring to the temple, the temple cannot contain God. The earth cannot contain God. The the, the heavens of heavens cannot contain God. He exists outside of all of it. None of it can contain him. Meaning then that the purpose of the temple then is not primarily for the housing of the presence of God because the presence of God cannot be housed. This is for people who are temple minded, who have a temple way of thinking, who have a temple way of living where it's okay for me to be whatever I am on this side, but hey, when I show up to church though, I got to behave. Have you ever heard when people say, don't say that in church, you're in the presence of God? Or have you heard people say, you know, now that I'm in church, I better behave. I better do what I am what I ought to do. Because again, we have this subtle understanding or subtle belief that God exists primarily in the temple or in the cathedral or in the tabernacle. Have you ever noticed how you can behave one way, but as soon as you show up to church, all of a sudden there's a way that you ought to dress. There's a way that you ought to act. There's a way that you ought to behave. I can live this way over here, but when I show up here, uh, I got to make sure I get it right. Don't cuss in church now. You ever heard that one? No, don't don't lie in church. You in church, bro, don't lie. Because we have a mentality, an ideology, a view, a perspective of seeing God as a person who is localized to a location. But when you understand that temple thinking, and that's what Solomon is doing here, he's helping them understand, y'all, God does not exist in this building primarily this building cannot contain him this building cannot hold him in this building he exists outside of this building he exists outside of all things he is above all things and actually he is through all things and it's in him that all things consist therefore anybody who's temple-minded and is temple thinking doesn't realize that in times where god is absent that's where god times where you believe that God is absent, that's when God is present. There is nowhere that God is not. If I ascend, what does the psalmist say? He says, if I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I descend into the pit of Hades, you are there. There is nowhere that God is not. And therefore, if there is nowhere that God is not, then that should change our perspective about how we see God and how we administrate his presence. What do I mean by that? I mean, it changes the way you behave. And when you live, when you realize that God is right beside you, no matter where you are. And no matter where you go, no matter where you find yourself, God is there. God is in the places that we consider sacred. And God is also in the places that we consider sacrilegious. That's right. God is in the whorehouse. And God is in the club. God is also in the church. God is also in the negative things. He's in the positive things. He's in the beautiful things and he's in the ugly things. God exists in all things because it's in him that all things consist. We're the ones who reduce God to someone who simply exists when we find him expedient, when we find him more convenient to us. We're the ones who want to box God, to put God in a place that when we finally need Him, we'll go to that place to open it up and to see Him and to visit Him and to meet Him. But God is not looking for you to meet Him at a location. He's looking for you to meet Him right where you are. I'm sorry, I'm ranting, y'all. But the reality is for many of us, we are still wrestling with temple thinking. So much so, that we still feel like we need to go to a priest in order to confess our sins. We have to go to a pastor because God is closer to him than he is to you. We feel like we have to go to individuals or we have to go to a place. I can't worship unless I go to God and God is not at my job right now. Um, God is not here. I don't see God in this. I don't see God. And yet, what does the scripture say? He is everywhere, as far as the East is from the West. He is there. There is nowhere that God is not. And what Solomon is trying to help us understand here is that the heavens cannot contain him. So what would a little building with accoutrements, what purpose would it hold then if it's not to contain and to house the presence of God? What the temple gave them was a location. Notice what he says. I know we, I'm just giving you a quick recap here. But what the temple provided was a location for sacrifice. What the temple provided was a place where they can go and offer their sacrifices to God. The temple was not even the place to worship. And while there's worship and while there's praise, while all these things are happening and can happen at the temple, the temple was not the place that they go to worship. I was having a conversation with some of our people that we're grooming up right now to be partners um, in the ministry, and something that I plan on inviting more people to be a part of. But for people who are becoming partners um, in the ministry, who I'm discipling Them, I'm helping them understand, especially for those who grew up in church, that they have to break out of this church temple mentality, ideology, ecclesiology, whatever you want to call it. We've grown up hearing things that aren't scripturally aligned and aren't doctrinally aligned and aren't biblically aligned. We've grown up going to churches where we invite the presence of God into the house. We grow up in places, we grew up in churches where we say, let's invite God to come in now to participate with us as if God wasn't there. We have these small views of God because they're rooted in our temple thinking. And because they're rooted in our temple thinking, church becomes the place that you worship and notice how the slide gets even more pronounced and even more vertical. The slope gets even slipperier when the temple becomes a location, because now if the temple is a location, then I need a priest now to administrate what happens in the temple because the purpose of the temple is to sacrifice. And so now I need a priest now to administer what's happening in the temple we call that service and now i need to set a day aside to go to the temple that's why we've got people with call it myopic theologies and convictions as it relates to the sabbath when people think of the sabbath they think of it as the holy day to worship i'm ranting when people think of the sabbath they think of it as a day that's been set aside for you to go and worship god it's the holy day to worship Yet nowhere in scripture does it tell us that the Sabbath was the holy day to worship. As a matter of fact, the whole purpose of the Sabbath was a day that was set aside, that was given and instituted to the children of Israel to rest. That was what the Sabbath was. It was intended for rest not for worship. (laughs) And so now you have Christians who argue about what day they ought to go to church. Do I go to church on Saturday or do I go to church on Sunday? And yet the Sabbath was never instituted to to indicate to you a day to go to worship. Another side note that I was explaining and teaching to my folks is, is that the Sabbath is also not a there is no such thing as a Christian Sabbath. The the Christian Sabbath was not not changed to, to Sunday. I've heard these backwards theologies that tell us that, well, because Jesus rose on Sunday and because he rose again on Sunday, that the Sabbath was changed to Sunday. If that was the case, then the Bible wouldn't tell us after Jesus rose from the grave that after immediately after the Sabbath, that's when they saw the resurrected Jesus. If the Sabbath was changed at the resurrection, then the scriptures would just call the day of his resurrection the sabbath but they actually call the day of his resurrection the day after the sabbath so then the resurrection couldn't have changed the day of the sabbath i'm sorry i'll leave that for a bible study maybe we'll do that on patreon maybe we'll do a bible study on patreon we'll do maybe we'll do something like that on there Oh, no, no, no. But because of our temple thinking and our temple mentality, we want to compartmentalize God. I'm going to stay right there. We want to compartmentalize our lives and to reduce God to something that you can fix in a location and in a time and in a space. And so because we want to relocate God and box him, we want to reduce God to, I come to church on Sunday to worship him because he's safe over there. I can be me here, do what I want here, live however way I want here, husband my wife in whatever way I want to husband her, uh, um, um, wife my husband the way I want to wife him, uh, parent my children in the way that I want to parent them, govern my business and my life my way. And I'll just keep God over there and I'll go and see him and check in on him every now and then. So we have this tendency to compartmentalize God and it's our compartmentalization of God that doesn't really allow us to live transformed lives because God is not in everything we do. God is simply something that we can go to when we need him. Oh, I'm about to say something that's going to make some people uncomfortable. But even when we come to God with our shame and our guilt, we come to Him in such a prideful way. The reason why we perpetuate in our sin and the reason why we don't ever really transform is because God has not yet governed our life. And the only reason why we come to God often is because ah, for some reason or another, we feel bad about what we've done. And because we feel bad by our own measure of morality, That we go and run to the little box that we put God in and we come to him so that we feel better about ourselves. We're not actually interested in changing. We just want to feel better. I want to feel better about the sin that I've committed. I want to feel better about the errors that I've made. If I can just go to God and God can be my little divine therapist and give me my little bit of therapy, I'm going to go to God and I'm just going to come to this church. And even though I know my life ain't the way God wants it to be and, I, and I'm not ready to change that yet, but God, can you at least give me a hit and a dose of feel good? Help me feel good just for a moment. And we wonder why in the church we don't see transformation. We don't see transformation in the body because people have not yet allowed God to govern all of their life. Worship is just a day in the week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Worship is just a location on a day of the week. And so we don't ever see transformation because we've put God in a box. And yet what Solomon is convicting us with and what he's convicting the children of Israel with in that moment, in this text, Solomon is saying in 2 Chronicles 6 verse 18, But will God indeed dwell with men on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. God cannot fit inside of your church. God cannot fit on your Sabbath day. God cannot fit into the little box that you put them in, in your life. If you want therapy, go to a therapist. I believe in it. I believe it's useful. If you want advice, life advice, go to somebody who has wisdom, plenty of wise people with life advice. But if you're going to give your life to Christ, then give your life to Christ. Give all of your life. Putting God in a box. Today, the word of conviction is don't put God in a box. You are in the temple of God now as a matter of fact we know it eventually happens while the temple is central to the theme here in second chronicles but we're going to learn from the text later on down the line and i've said this again to to the people that have discipled is remember what jesus went on the cross for remember when jesus was in court when he was in that illegal trial in the dark of night remember what they were accusing jesus of They accused Jesus of saying that this man said he would destroy the temple. It was such a provocative statement for Jesus to say, I'm destroying the temple. Ah, that they used it as a means to prosecute him. Don't forget that. That for those of you who are putting God in a box, remember the children of Israel did the same thing. And they put Jesus in a box they put God in a box and yet Jesus said I will destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up and remember what they ridiculed Jesus with when he was on the cross when he went on that cross they ridiculed him with those words look at the man who said he would tear down the temple and that he would rebuild it up in three days why don't you take yourself down from the cross these were the words of ridicule for Jesus because at the core of Jesus' plan was to rid the temple and to make us the temple God does not want to reside in buildings he wants to reside in the heart of his people and maybe when you realize that when his name is Emmanuel he is with us. He dwells with us. God is looking to make us a house. So, today, can we dedicate our lives to the presence of God in all that we do? Can we can we get out of temple mindsets and temple thinking? Can you stop compartmentalizing your time with God to simply a day of the week? Ooh, I'll go even deeper. Can you... Can we end compartmentalizing our time with God to simply an hour of the day? Can we, can we stop compartmentalizing God to simply a moment and a moment here and a moment there? But can we bring God in all that we do? Can we bring Christ in all that we do? Can we bring Christ in our marriage, in our life, in our job, in our decisions? Can we trust God when things don't go our way to know, no, God, you're the one who governs and you're the one who rules my life. Can we submit ourselves entirely to him to say, Lord, it is not my will, but it's your will be done. Can God become ruler? Can we become the temples that are being built up? Can we be the living stones? Let's take God out of the box. Father, I thank you. Lord, as we engage today, Father, bless us. Lord, remind us, Lord, that even as Solomon is dedicating the temple in this text, as we close with the life of Solomon, this man of wisdom and renown, Lord, that we can take at least these wise words from a man that you had bestowed incredible wisdom to for us to remember that you cannot fit in buildings nor can you fit on the earth and nor can you fit in the universe but lord that you transcend all things father teach us not to put you in a box but teach us lord that you are in and through everything in our lives all of our lives guide us let that be a guiding principle for us let it Govern us in all that we do, and I ask that in Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you, fam. God bless you all. I love you, fam. Thank you for all of you guys who are giving me badges on IG. Thank you. And quickly shout y'all out because you guys are, you guys are such an encouragement. Asia, you are just an encouragement. Tiff, thank you so much. DC Duchess, thank you so much. I appreciate the gifts, TC Marie. I appreciate the gifts, Alkali. Thank you so much for the gifts and and for just coming and spending the time with us in the Word. I want to thank all my patrons as well. Um, as you guys know, we haven't reached our goal uh, for our patrons, so that we can move into daily—sorry, uh, not daily—weekly uh, Bible studies. But if you'll notice, I'm taking Bible studies week to week by chunks because I just, I believe that the Lord is doing something incredible in this season. But I do want to take the opportunity. Thank you so much, D.C. Duchess. Thank you. I do want to take this time to just thank all of you who are patrons, who have supported this ministry, who are supporting what we're doing. And I know you guys are saying, hey, you know what? It's only $10. It's only $10 a month. It's a big deal. Okay, guys? It really is. It's why we keep doing this. And so I just want to thank you all. Thank you to every patron. Um, I, you know, I I try to message as many of you as you can, as I can to just say thank you. And I love, I only got, I don't have that many of you on Patreon. So I like that we can, at least I can connect closer to you guys. And I just want to say just thank you. Um, if you don't hear from me directly, I know when you message me, I will message back, but I just want to say thank you for your support. Um, You guys are a blessing to me. You guys are a blessing to my wife and I. Um, And uh, it pushes me to keep going. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm so committed to this time, the Bible studies and all the material. Um, And so, guys, thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a patron, just click the link in the bio or the link in the profile. If you click it, um, I believe the first link is become a patron. I would love your support. I would appreciate your support. And while you don't think $10 is a big deal, it is a huge deal. And for some of you, it's a big sacrifice. I've had, I've had a few of you who said, you know what? I don't have the budget for it, so I just got rid of my Netflix subscription to be a part of that. That I can't say enough about how much I appreciate that. Um, my wife and I are taking a step of faith going our work just to focus on this and to make it our work. And so, uh, God bless you guys.